0: You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.find. to be with you this morning especially uh, I think a whole bunch of our sites are joining us this morning too so a special hello to you in Lawrence Kirk and also Stonehaven and also Ellen and also Peterhead I'm so sorry that you have to see my face on a big screen that's enough to make anyone feel nauseous on a Sunday morning but I do love the fact that Uh, we're able to join together, hundreds of us, across the northeast of Scotland. I think it's about 65 or 70 miles apart, and that is awesome. And so we're one church, one family, under God's word together and that's brilliant. So uh, we are, uh, we have been journeying through the book of Acts for about a year. We've arrived at Acts chapter 17, so if you've got your Bible with you, either in the original book version or some kind of digital device, now's the moment to find that. And uh, we're going to be in in Acts chapter 17 and also 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you've got a book version, you'll need two, two fingers to find it, or, or to hold the places. And let me just kind of summarise, because we've been in it a year, let me just summarise the journey so far, and let me do that by telling this story. There were two Japanese men. Their names were Yoshio Yamakawa and Suzuki Nakochi I wonder whether those names mean anything to you. This is a news story from 2005, so you'd have to have a pretty good memory. Uh, they had been soldiers in the Japanese army during the Second World War. And uh, during the Second World War, they were given instructions, like, go to this island just off the Philippines and, and guard it and, and hold that territory for Japan. Sixty years later, they were still there. Everybody forgot to tell them that the war had finished, and so there they were observing strict military discipline uh, and just continuing to follow the orders that they'd been given more than 60 years before, and here are them being discovered in 2005, both in their late 80s. Um, actually, they weren't the only ones. There were other people, too. So there was also Shoi—oh, my, forgive my pronunciation here. Sh- Shoyiki Yakoi, uh, who was found, he was still, in 1972 he was discovered just guarding a particular jungle in Guam, and also Hiru Onodada, who was found in Indonesia in 1974. And I was just thinking about these stories this week, and what I was thinking was, that's the story that people believe out there about the church like this diminishing group of eccentrics still following the orders of a long dead king, um, still uh, kind of living a life that was completely irrelevant to everyone else, uh, and, and uh, uh, just nobody told them that they weren't needed anymore. You know, it seems to me that the story that's told about who we are as the church out there in the world is like, well, bless them. Bless them. Nobody told them they weren't needed anymore. You know, it's fine for them to feed the poor. Like, you know, we're, we have a cost of living crisis right now, and, and lots of people are kind of being caught under the wheels of that bus, and so, bless them. If the church wants to feed people, that's great, but please don't ever tell us what you believe, because we're not interested. And if I'm honest, and this is probably a deeply inappropriate thing for a pastor to admit, If I'm honest, I can feel that story infiltrating my own heart, almost shaping my own expectations of how the gospel works in our society. I can feel um, I can feel myself turning in on myself. I can feel my tongue being silenced. I can feel myself saying other people's no's for them. It's almost as if the gospel doesn't work in the way that it used to. And, of course, that is absolute nonsense. You know, the truth is, statistically, the Christian church has never grown faster than it is right now. In 1910, there were... 600 million Christians on the face of the earth and now in 2010 uh, there were 2.3 billion Christians on the face of the earth it's astonishing the way that the church is growing all over the world but in the Western world that story is not the case I wonder where I am on my notes Um, the truth is that the church exploded With life from the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 and and from that moment you know literally billions of people have come to know Jesus as a result Uh, and it will continue to grow until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea and that's why it's so very important that our hearts are shaped not by the story that's told out there of who we are but the story that's told in these pages. And I think that's what's been happening. As we've been journeying through the book of Acts over the last year or so, I think the Lord is teaching us a different story. He's telling us about a different kind of church from the one that is told out there and and what we're seeing is a church that is exploding with life and in fact what happens is uh, Luke who wrote the book of acts in acts chapter 1 he lays out his plan about how it all works so in acts chapter 1 Jesus says to the church he says uh, Jesus says uh, you'll receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you're you're going to be my witnesses you're going to take the gospel to all Jerusalem and then all Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth and what we then see is and what we've been seeing is that that's exactly what's been happening so the church grows from Jerusalem and then it goes to Judea and then all Samaria and and then it's now going from nation to nation as people are surrendering their lives to Jesus it's the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus said you're going to receive power and that call you're going to make disciples of every nation and you're going to baptize them. And you're going to teach them the teachings of Jesus. And you're going to introduce them to the way of Jesus. And it seems to me that it's no accident that, that as a church, post-COVID, you know, we've had this global reset moment. It's almost as if uh, God said, you, you know, like, let's turn the world off and turn it back on again. There's this is huge opportunity for the church in this moment. And it's almost as if in this moment um, we have a decision to make as a church. What kind of church are we going to be? And, and, and what are going to be our priorities? And the truth is that there are so many things that we don't know. There are so many uh, unanswered questions about, about what our church will look like in, in the days and weeks and months and years to come. But one thing we do know... Is that we must be a church that communicates the good news of Jesus to as many people as possible we must be the kind of church that we see here that is committed to going from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus you know there was a uh, uh, I'm sorry, my, my notes were just a bit of a mess this morning. Anyway, so, anyway, that, all, all of that brings us to Acts chapter 17 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And what we're going to learn is we're going to learn from Paul's visit to Thessalonica, we're going to learn uh, how does he communicate the good news of Jesus. Like, how do you do that? How do you tell people about Jesus? And we're going to learn from Acts chapter 17, first of all, and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 1, says this. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, They dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decree saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And that's the first part of the scriptures that we're gonna read. Now, interestingly, that's Luke's account of what happened when Paul went to Thessalonica. But we also have Paul's own account, because a few months after he'd visited Thessalonica, he uh, was in another place, probably Corinth, and he wrote a letter to the Thessalonians, to the church that he'd uh, planted. And uh, actually, scholars think it was the very first letter that he'd ever written. And so we've got his account of what happened when he visited them. Verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given to you by the Holy Spirit. And those are our scriptures for today. So what can we learn from Paul about how we become a disciple-making church? How, we, how, how do we share our faith? And what we learn is, I think, that Paul has four tools in his toolbox that he uses as he shares the gospel. The first one is this. Paul uses persuasion, by which I mean he uses words uh, you can see that in acts in acts 17 verse two it says Paul went into the synagogue and that he reasoned with them from the scriptures and then he, there are loads of other words that Paul uses he uses words like explaining and proclaiming and then in verse four some of the Jews were persuaded all of these things we uh, can use to understand that Paul used his tongue, his teeth, his lips, and he used words to communicate the good news of Jesus. You see that as well in the passage in uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, where it says, uh, verse 5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. So he definitely used words. When I was first a Christian, like I became a Christian when I was a teenager, and as a teenager, I was already a bit awkward in my own skin, and then I became a Christian, and I was even more awkward. And uh, somebody introduced me to a saying by St. Francis of Assisi, who apparently said this. He said, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And I was like, this is brilliant. Hopefully it won't be necessary for me to use words. I'll just live my life in a particular kind of way. And so me and my friends grasped hold of that. And so we would do things like I said a few weeks ago. Like we we all went out and we bought Christian T-shirts, so that people would just be able to see what we were wearing and become Christians or something like that. And then and then um, uh, we we would go out into the high street, Kingston High Street. I promise I'm not making this up. And we all went out. And we bought white gloves and we did miming for Jesus unbelievable to to think of it And, and also I was part of this prayer group it was called Prayer for Revival and in a sense, what we were really praying for is that God would do our evangelism for us, like hopefully he'll come, he'll walk the land, and people will surrender their lives to Jesus. And so uh, this particular prayer meeting would happen at like six o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday morning. And, and I used to set my alarm uh, and, you know, set all kinds of alarms all over my bedroom so that I'd wake up and, I, and would not always sleep through all of the alarms. And so what I did on more than one occasion was I stayed up all night just so that I wouldn't miss the prayer meeting anyway so my youth leader takes me to one side he says I can't help noticing a pattern in the way that you're trying to share your faith you're trying to do anything that doesn't involve words and yet Paul says my gospel came to you with words it's impossible to communicate the good news of Jesus without words of explanation words of introduction, words of persuasion. And they're the words that our neighbors and our work colleagues and our friends and family—they're the words that they're waiting for. Interestingly, there was a survey done uh, by the Evangelical Alliance earlier on this year, and they surveyed 4,000 adults who uh, didn't have a faith. And uh, there were a whole bunch of statistics that came out of it, but there were two statistics that I found absolutely fascinating. One of them was that about half of the people surveyed said they didn't know anyone who was a Christian. What's really interesting about that is that statistically that's not possible. Like, there are so many of us out there that it's almost impossible for half of the population to not know a Christian. The, The thing is, it's not that they don't know a Christian, is that no one's ever told them that they know a Christian. In other words, we, as we're going about our business in the world, we are not putting our hand up and saying, actually, I need to tell you, I have a a faith. The other fascinating statistic that came out of it was they said, um, for any of those people, if they ever had a conversation about faith in Jesus, one in three of them wanted to have more conversations as a result. So let me just unpack that. So just imagine, I don't know where you're going to be tomorrow, in an office or, or wherever. Let's say you're in an office tomorrow and you have 18 colleagues. And uh, by the water cooler or the photocopier or um, the coffee machine, wherever it is, you know, you're having a conversation about what you were doing today and, uh, or over the weekend. And you say, well, I, you know, I went to Union Square or whatever, but also on Sunday I went to church. And uh, actually J- Jesus has changed my life to the degree where I, I never miss a Sunday and, and if you were to have that conversation with 18 people the statistics say that 12 of those people don't care if they ever have that conversation again but six of those people want to have more conversations with you as a result and in a sense their journey has only just begun so it seems to me it's time that all of us, every Christian, kind of buckles up and puts on our big boy pants or big girl pants and just shares our faith with the world around us using words. Um, Now you might say, well, I I just don't know where I'd get the words from. Like how, how would I find the words to communicate who Jesus is? I've got three very quick answers to that. The first thing is, you would receive your words from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes this amazing promise in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, when he says, When you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And the truth is that many of us have experienced precisely that. And if you're in one of our sites right now, I would like, this is a little experiment, I would like you to put up your hand if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you've been speaking about Jesus or you've been sharing about your faith in Jesus. And as you've been talking, it's almost as if you've just, the Holy Spirit's been dropping words into your mind. You've been found yourself saying things that you didn't expect to say. Just put up your hand right now. So this is an experience that many of us have had. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. The second place that these words might come from is the words might come from the Scriptures. It says that in uh, verse 2. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures which is another really good reason why day in, day out, week in, week out, we should immerse ourselves like a bag, you know, like into, we should, we should immerse ourselves into this book and then hopefully then the, the words of this book will kind of seep out again during the days and weeks to come. This book is such a powerful book, and I, I just realized as I was preparing this talk, you know, I turned around, the bookshelf is behind me. I've got like seven Bibles on my bookshelf, and there's a real danger that we become over familiar with this book, and we, we, we forget how powerful it really is. Taryn and I were having dinner with a couple from the North Northside, Aberdeen Northside, uh, a few weeks ago and uh, they were sharing they, they both grew up in India uh, she grew up in a Christian family but he grew up in a very strict Hindu family and at a particular point as a young man one of his friends or something like that gave him a Bible and he said as he opened the Bible he experienced this joy just kind of bubbling up within him and, and he just it was completely unexplainable he was like oh my goodness I've never felt anything like this before and so he tried it out he kept opening other books and reading bits of other books there was nothing every time he opened John's gospel for example he just felt this joy bursting out from within him. this hope just appearing into his life and as a result he subsequently gave his life to Jesus and has never looked back despite paying a very significant cost for his faith this book is a powerful book which makes me think why don't I give this book to more people Like, what kind of Christmas presents, birthday presents, uh, you know, might involve giving this book to somebody? So, I can get words from the Holy Spirit. I can get words from the Scriptures. And lastly, the truth is, I don't need all the words. Amazingly, we run a course that Uh, lots of churches all over the world run called the alpha course and in the alpha course there are lots of persuasive words it's an amazing course like 30 million people around the world have done it and and it goes through subjects like who is Jesus why did he die Uh, you know what's the Bible all about how should I pray what's the church all about all of these subjects are covered and so in one sense you don't need all the words All you need is a word of introduction, a word of invitation. Like, if you were to come to the Alpha course, then you would discover who Jesus is. So, first of all, Paul uses persuasion, he uses words. My gospel came to you with words. The second tool that Paul uses is he uses the power that is available to him from God. My gospel, our gospel came to you, says, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 verse 5. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. What kind of power is he speaking about there? Now, this is part of Paul's method. It's how he goes about communicating the good news of Jesus. Um, And so he talks about his method in a whole bunch of places. This is the first time because it's the first letter that he wrote. But actually he talks about it over and over again, and he, he elaborates on what this word power is all about. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So we're learning this power is the Holy is the is power from God, it's the Holy Spirit's power, and we're learning that in this moment, as he's sharing the gospel, he's demonstrating the Spirit's power. What does that mean? What does it mean to demonstrate God's power? Well, again, in Romans 15, when he's talking about how he shares his faith, in verse 18, it says um, he's doing that by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So, in other words, he is As he's sharing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, at the same time as that, he is praying for people and demonstrating the power of God. And people are being healed and that it serves as an endorsement of his message. And you can see him doing exactly that earlier on in Acts, in Acts 14, verse 3. It says, "So Paul and Barnabas sent, spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And so in other words, maybe tomorrow or Wednesday or Friday, maybe tonight when you're standing beside the water cooler or the coffee machine or the photocopier and somebody says, oh, I really hurt my leg in the gym. Like, I think I've pulled a ligament or something like that or or someone says I just went over on my ankle when I was putting the bins out maybe our response could be hey can I pray for you because it might just be that God wants to do something in your physical body and in your life right now and then that serves as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Jesus made a promise. He said, You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, in a sense, with that power. And that is not a hollow promise. I was just hearing in the staff meeting last week, there was a, an amazing story. There's somebody in our church, and they came into contact with a lady um, and her son. And the lady was explaining, she said, you know, my son has a, a really severe issue with his eyes. We're very worried about it. Uh, and, and uh, you know, all kinds of experts are involved. And this person in our church, they just said, well, why don't I pray for you and pray for your son? The following week, when they met up together, um, just almost casually into conversation, this lady said, oh, it's pretty amazing what happened. We took my son to an, uh, one of his appointments this week, and as they examined his eyes, the, the specialist said, it's really strange but there's been a dramatic improvement in your son's eyes so much so that as a result um, his prescription now is way too strong and we need to really pull back on that prescription it's astonishing but that is what God does as we share the good news of Jesus there is power available to us and it turns out that that lady is now visiting our church and wondering like where did this power come from the third tool that in a sense, Paul has in his toolbox, is the presence of God. Again, he says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. I think Taryn shared this story a few weeks ago, but I'm still absolutely stunned by it, and I'd love to share the story from my perspective. We were invited to speak at the uh, leaders' conference for the vineyard churches in uh, the Nordic countries. So that's like Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and Finland. And it was a really brilliant time together. And, and one of the sessions we shared, Taryn was speaking about the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And then Fast forward to the last night of the conference, you know, people were like hoovering at the end and, and you know, the, the room was emptying out. And, and one of the guys, one of the pastors said, oh, why don't you guys come to the bar with, with me? We'll, we'll go and get a drink. And I was like, yes, why don't we do that? We should definitely do that. And so I've got my coat on, I'm standing beside the door. I look back, I'm looking for Taryn. Of course, where is she? She's, she's praying with someone. She's typical. And so we, you know, I'm waiting for her for absolutely ages, you know, they're turning the lights off, they you know, someone's kind of jangling, jangling keys, uh, and still this, the, Taryn's praying with these two guys. One of them is a pastor, and one of them is this other guy, I've never seen him before. Uh, and from my perspective, absolutely nothing is happening, you know, they're, but they're all just standing there, completely still, there's no great fireworks, no, nothing dramatic seems to be happening. And so I'm just going to Tara and like, drink, you know, drink, and come on, let's let's go. And she's like, just wait a minute, wait a minute. Eventually she comes over after about an hour, and she said it's absolutely amazing what's just happened. She said this pastor was staying in a, in a particular hotel, and and he met this guy who's a Muslim. And uh, as they were discussing faith, he said, do you have a faith? Do you believe in anything? This guy said, no, I don't believe in anything. I mean, if anything, I believe in karma, but really I believe in nothing. And this guy said, he said, well, I'm at this conference this weekend, and, I, and this lady has been speaking, and she's been speaking about the presence of God. Would you like to experience the presence of God? And he says, yeah, of course, why not? And so they came along, and, and so this guy said to and he said, oh, you know, let me introduce whatever his name is. Um, I've told him that you'll pray for him, and he'll experience the presence of God. She's like, oh, great, thanks very much. So they pray. They invite the Holy Spirit to come. It's really funny because he had his phone in his hand the whole time. I was thinking, what's the deal with that? But supposedly he said, well, what do I do? She said, well, put out your hands in front of you. And he just happened to have his phone in his hand. And so his phone was there in his hand for an hour. And as they're praying, um, she said, this guy had a dramatic personal revelation of Jesus. Jesus came to him in a vision and uh, he... He introduced himself, and then this guy has this vision of Jesus reaching into his heart and pulling out all of this black stuff out of his heart. And then they walk through different moments in his life, and Jesus is showing him, what, like, this is where I was in this situation. And and eventually, Taryn and this pastor say, would you like to give your life to Jesus? And he's like, yes, I would. And so they lead him in a commitment prayer to Jesus. And and this guy continues to meet with with the pastor on Zoom regularly and, and other members of his family, I think his girlfriend, also joining on the call. It's an astonishing thing. I came to you, our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Our friend, Steve Nicholson, who was... Uh, uh, over visiting with us of what would it be a few months ago now he, he was leading pastoring his church for 45 years and i heard him ask recently hey listen you know what do you think is the most fruitful form of evangelism like what is the best way for us to share our faith and he didn't even blink he just said immediately what you need to do is invite your friends to church and and give them an encounter with the holy spirit you know, the truth is that, that so many of us have seen that happen over and over and over again. You know, people come into our church in one of the sites and as we worship together, they just break down, you know, and they're just weeping. And, and, it's, and they often say, I don't know why I'm crying, I, I don't know. And I'm like, we know exactly why. It's because you, you're having an encounter with the presence of God. This is a powerful thing for us. And, of course, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, isn't only present in church gatherings. But if you want to meet the Holy Spirit, a church gathering is a really good place to start. So why wouldn't we invite our world to come and visit our church, either online or in person? The presence of Jesus. And the last thing, Paul's last, uh, last tool in his toolbox is persistence. In Thessalonica, you know, Paul arrives in Thessalonica, and where does he go? Where does he go? Verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them and then what follows is two amazing things one of them is that that masses and masses of people come to know Jesus that's the first thing the second thing is there's a riot in the city like there's a a, a severe opposition to Paul and his message and as a result of that he's kinda chased out of town and and yet there in verse 10 it says as soon as it was night the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea on arriving there where did they go they went Into the Jewish synagogue and and so it's like I'm going again everywhere he goes he's doing the same thing I'm going to go to the Jewish synagogue I'm going to open my mouth I'm going to speak for God persistence is a powerful thing if we want a life of fruitfulness if we want to meet people in eternity who we have personally led to Jesus then we need to not give up on anyone you know, like, uh, Taryn's granddad was the subject of prayer, like, decades and decades of prayer. He, like, when I first met him, he would have been in his mid-70s, I suppose, one of the most independent um, and and kind of knows-your-own-mind kind of people you've ever met in your life. And, and um, like, even when he was, like, more than 80, like, I remember when we got our first house he was up a ladder sanding the ceiling strong as an ox just strong independent minded person and 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 so like he was just not interested in god And and when Taryn was a child, they would have these really awkward conversations because Taryn just didn't care. She was just like, Grandad, why don't you want to know about Jesus? He's amazing. Why don't you want to become a Christian? We all have, and he's amazing. And and he would just go, I'm just not interested. It's just not my my thing. And uh, it, it wasn't until he was 87 when he was just having a conversation with Taryn's mom and he just happened to throw into conversation, oh, I've been having uh, a few words with the man upstairs. And uh, she said, well, that's really amazing. Would you like to become a Christian? Would you like to surrender your life to Jesus? And he said, do you know what? I think I would. And so aged 87, he committed his heart to God and less than a year later I had the privilege of taking his funeral and I was able to share with his you know gathered friends and and uh, extended family this is a man who had hope that one day he would meet his saviour face to face and this is a man who had hope that his crumbling and decaying body would be renewed and that he would experience no longer any pain and no longer any death and i say all of that to say this friends let's not give up on anyone no one is beyond hope and that's why persistence is incredibly important when we share our faith so let me just let me just say this you know lots of people join our church people join our church all the time They join our church because they've moved into the area and they're looking for a church that's a bit like the one they had before where they lived previously. Or maybe they're looking for a church that's completely different to the one they had before and they join our church. You know, some people join our church from another church in this region. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, it was the right thing to move to a new church or maybe it was the wrong thing. But we must not only grow as a result of people joining us from other churches post-covid if there's one thing we know it's this we've got to be the kind of church that shares our faith that introduces people to jesus that baptizes them that tells them, shares with them the teachings of Jesus and introduces them to the way of Jesus. That's the kind of church that we must be. And as we do that, we have these four tools. Persuasion, the power of God, the presence of God, and persistence. Let's pray together. And Lord, we are so conscious that that the world is increasingly hostile To the message of Jesus, especially in the Western world. And yet we choose to not give in and not give up. We choose to step out of our comfort zone and to be people who speak up for Jesus wherever we are. And so we pray that you would give us more of your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your power. Make us courageous. We need you, God. And even as we're standing here or sitting there, we pray that you would bring to mind the names and the faces of people in our lives. Who you're calling us to speak up to. Maybe people will meet later today. Maybe people will meet later this week. Lord Jesus, would you give us an opportunity to speak to them? And would you give us the words to say? And would the words be um, endorsed? by the presence and power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen.